0: Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast, the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this needs no introduction. It's Scott Hargrave, Balter. Let's get into it. Well, I'm in the Gold Coast uh, at a small uh, little brewery you might have heard of called Balter, and sat with me is Scott Hargrave. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Ian. It's uh, lovely to be here.
1: Oh, it's lovely to have you here, actually, is how I should put that.
0: It's, it's lovely for me to be here, actually, because not only have I wanted to come here for a while, um, but I've been looking after two babies all day. Oh, you've um, earned a beer. I'm you've exhausted. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> but less about me here, I'm looking at you now. You're reminding me that brewing is an industry. It's hard work and hands-on.
1: You're covered in... Yeah, well, grain dust, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing is I've been sort of dealing with hops and stuff all day, but I've still managed to get covered in grain dust. So, you know, yep. I live and breathe this stuff. So, you know, it's, I can't help but get dirty. One of my guys just said before... I'll get in there, Scotty, so you don't have to get covered in... Sh- oh, it's too late. Me, so. It's just well, me. I actually
0: noticed that it's not just you. There's a number of people walking, walking by who were, you know, afflicted with the, uh, the same, you know, f- fashion of grain dust.
1: Yeah, so what actually happened is that we've had... Uh, I shut down the, the brew house today because we were getting um, some of our, um, our malt handling equipment uh, updated, if you like. And part of that was to be able to move our grain bin, the the grist bin where the the milled grain sits uh, before we actually mash it in. And someone, not me, but (laughs) someone forgot to tell one of the boys last night not to mill in so that we could move that bin today. But we had about a tonne or so of, uh, of malt cracked last night that went into this thing. So the boys had to empty it out and then they're still bucketing back in right now at the moment. So, yeah, everyone's covered in... Covered in dust.
0: So, in the street, it sounds like you're
1: too efficient. Somebody's got to the
0: job before they should have and made it all
1: work. Yeah, well, like, you know, I mean, we we try and run this thing, uh, you know, as much as we can so it's, it runs fairly seamless and, you know, we just pulse day in, day out. And, um, yeah, sometimes it gets a bit, auto, you know, automatic or a bit robotic and, uh, yeah. Anyway, it just made the day a bit more interesting.
0: You're a man who's won... Many awards, particularly recently, as well. Um, you should be up with your feet up and in a shirt and
1: tie. And I can't do that. Um, <laughs> my title these days is kind of brewmaster, and, and some of the, the other guys in our executive were saying. And um, so, what are you going to be, director of brewing? And I just scoffed at that. That just doesn't sound sound like me i'm just you, you, ted brewer scotty really at the end of the day you so. never
0: feel like putting
1: a high vis and pointing your finger and uh no i guess i i do do that to a point like i this business needs me to not be stuck out there on the brew deck 70 hours a week making XPA, you know i've got i've got a, a lot of work to do in the the bigger scheme of things with Boulder as well is you know is obviously keeping all our beers and all our guys on track but you know, new product development, coming up with these new beers, making sure that, you know, uh, we've got great supply of hops and malt and, and, you know, all the ingredients and the equipment side of it. You know, we're expanding all the time, so we need to keep across being able to make uh, as much beer as we actually need to make. And, you know, that that takes a bit of a bigger picture view at times Mm. as well. But having said that, I'll be in in the morning, so I'll be... Um, I'll be brewing up there on on the big rig, but also on the pilot system tomorrow. So uh, I actually did that. Just I just got back from the US, and and that's what I had to do for about eight days straight before I left. Was be I had days where I brewed three different beers on two different brew kits under the one roof. So you know, you still gotta you still gotta get in and have a go. <laughs> so for
0: those of those few people who listen to this podcast who don't know who Bolter are, how would you sum them up and you know, where are you up to right now? Uh,
1: where? Um, a bunch of folks. Have, uh, the, the greater Bolter employee base or family is, is surpassed 50 people now, so that's amazing for us. But we started from... Um, uh, well, we think pretty humble beginnings with, uh, you know, our, our founding group was uh, half a dozen mates, including four famous surfers uh, who knew nothing about beer. They wrote me into being involved to, to build the Basically, they put it to me, did I want to, um, you know, did I want to build, build my dream brewery and make the beers I want to make? So um, believe it or not, I actually had to think about that for a little while, but uh, I said yes. And we got up and running, and we've had beer in the market for about two and a half years now. And and yeah, yeah, we've uh, hats off to everybody involved. We've done really well, but uh, you know, a huge part of, of what we've done is that we've set this up for the for the right reasons. It's all about beer. I was never going to be involved unless it was about the beer front and center. So there's there's no we haven't had any sort of any free run or or you know had it easier than anybody else because of, of of our founding group really they don't um they don't have endless buckets of money either we've we've actually had to do this from hard work and good planning and and good people involved and um you know really making the best beer we can head down bum up just making the best beer we can you know uh and and with great branding and and great people you know mm. so um yeah and you know what? There's there's still so many people that haven't heard of us. You know, a lot of a lot of people live in this little craft beer bubble that, you know, your, your listeners and and both of us are all involved in. But we don't realise that probably 90% of the people out there don't know or you know, may not care less yet. But that's the opportunity to to get more and more people on our side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite it strikes me as well two things. I understand there was a lot of scepticism about with baltif starting and i'm i'm sure you would have shared that skepticism as well in terms of you know do i actually get involved with this because there's almost an automatic target on your back as soon as you know Indeed. it's got celebrities <laughs> celebrities involved and and that type of thing
1: yeah well you know oh, i was very much the same that the sort of initially um when I got asked, you know, uh, do you want to talk to some folks about potentially starting a new brewery on the Gold Coast? I went, yeah, okay, and then slowly got revealed that, oh, they're, they're kind of well-known people or, you know, then it became they're sort of famous and I just... Admittedly, I groaned a bit and went, yeah, that'll be bloody right. You know, it was sounded too good <laughs> to be true, but, you know, once I once I met the guys and, and you know, they impressed on me that it had nothing to do... Ultimately, you know, with any sort of vanity piece for those guys, it was everything but that. It was about surfing can't go on forever. That sort of, you know, what what you know, it was it was driven in a lot of ways by B Derbidge, um, who wanted to build a brewery on Stradbroke Island where he's from, and he's a very proud Stratty guy. Uh, and the other boys. Basically, made him understand that Stradbroke Island is an island so it's hard to get ingredients on to the island and probably would have been much harder to get any beer off the island because they would have drunk it all but um, <laughs> and like those guys go off so like you know the straddy folks probably would have drunk it all and um, with with all the boys living around the Gold Coast they actually found uh, they found this place and and then sort of you know it became then about all right let's let's build the team um who can actually get this job done so um you know we got and mcdonald our uh, ceo who's who's a former pro surfer as well and had you know a lot of discipline in other businesses and sterling howland our our brand director and he's responsible for that you know those beautiful looking cans and and that whole uh that brand direction that we have that's so clean and 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 translates so well and, 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 um, you know, that, that gets under people's skin. And, uh, so those guys got involved and then they realized, well, we can't have a brewery without a brewer. So, uh, that's when they sort of, they sort of come knocking for me. And it took it, honestly, it took a little while before I was convinced that for all concerned, it would, would be a good idea because you just, you know, like arcs, you know, you know, other other people have tried the celebrity beer angle, and all you do is waste a lot of money. Uh, and to me, I'd spent too much time in craft beer to kind of bring that sort of virus into a, an industry that I really love. You know, I thought that'd be me sort of infecting this, and maybe we'd be the first of those you know entities that are going to try and kill the golden goose or whatever and do something when you r- say really that, stupid. Yeah, you know. when you
0: say it's like a virus, you mean um, people. From outside the industry, with very little knowledge, who who see that as a as a growth sector, and they're yes. just there to take. And indeed,
1: from it. indeed, and I guess all of us that have been in this game for any length of time are uh, uh, you're, you're kind of protective of it, you know. Like it's a, it is. Brewing isn't easy. It's hard work, and and the brewing business is really hard as well. And it takes. You can only really do this if you show up every day because you love what you do and you'd do it if you weren't getting paid because you can, if you're like me, you're compelled to do it. I'm compelled to brew beer because, I don't know, it's in my DNA and I'm lucky I found it early enough to actually act upon it and um, and play my part in it and, you know... Um, so for, for for the boys, you know, it was never it was never about having, as I put it to them, it was if it was about having Mick or Joel's head on a can or whatever, then I wasn't interested because I'd worked too hard um, for my own reputation. I suppose the reason these guys were talking to me is because they'd heard that you know I had some idea about what I was doing, so I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna sort of piss all that up the wall for one of a better word, just for some sort of weird ass celebrity angle. And because we didn't and because it was all about the beer and, and planning and building building things and trying to do it right the first first time, you know, um, I think we've we've kind of been able to just keep our momentum and, you know, keep it all moving and hopefully we get better and better at what we do every day. You know, that's the plan. I think it's really it is really striking that despite having
0: these World famous names that they've haven't really been used in marketing, they haven't, they're not on the can, there's no mention of them. It truly is about the beer. Absolutely. My second question was about when you took this job, you had a blank canvas, a blank floor. Yeah, that's it. Did you find that daunting, or did you see that just as a great opportunity?
1: Um, you know, a, a bit about I wasn't really daunted by. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, going, "Oh my God, what happens if I bugger this up or the beer's shit or, or I get this, you know, horribly wrong and blah blah blah." I'd wake up going, "How am I going to make that mill fit through that wall? Um, you know, how's that tank going to sit up against that? We got enough room to do that." It was actually just, just practical nuts and bolts technical questions about how I was going to. And how we were going to put all this thing together it was never about whether it was going to work or not if that makes sense and it's not meant to come across as pretentious or arrogant or assuming we're going to have any great success it was just that it just seemed to be the next you know in my journey in beer it was it just seemed to be the next logical step that with all these years of sort of of um you know brewing experience and and whatnot that i had that it just made sense for me to to distill all the things i'd learnt uh you know previously and and try and try and make my version of what a good brewery you know what a a well work a great working brewery looks like and what great beers you can make out of something like that and how they should be you know it was just for my own piece it was that sense of like all right well it wasn't sort of like like feeling bang pushed out through the curtains onto Senate stage or anything like that. It was just like, well, this is just the next job. This is the this is the next continuation of what I've been doing. You know, been propelling myself along the road for you know the best part of a decade, I suppose.
0: And when you build in that brewery, how much of an eye did you have on for, for expansion? And also, it might be a brewery that you suits you personally. But how you know inevitably when you uh, grow, it's got to be suitable for others to use as well, and how easy that is.
1: Oh, oh, totally. And the great thing about this brewery, I remember saying to the guys uh, one day early on, they said, "Have you have you got a first beer in mind?" And it was XBA, and I went, "Yeah, this one," because I'd been working on it at home in my garage for you know twelve, eighteen months or whatever. I was just making this beer that I thought would be hopefully of its time and of its place it was just seemed to be right you know and, and it was just going to need a home and i said to the guys well if um you know I, you know this is i've got the i've got a first beer and and we're going to build a brewery uh you know that that is going to make that beer every day you know day in day out we're going to be able to deliver and make that beer and we'll build a brewery around this beer and that was very much my thinking. I mean, the the manufacturer we use um, DME for this particular brew house. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd worked on that gear before at Stone and Wood, and you know, um, you know, and it was very familiar to me. So I knew that the equipment worked. And and what we did as a as a group, particularly in the early days, was um, uh, Aaron and and Anthony and myself. Well, we we made sure right across, not just the brew house, but the the rest of the the tap room and the the rest of the physical business that we were we built something that we we're going to grow into not grow out of straight away and if anything if that's where we've done something maybe better than than possibly s- some other folks might have or or made it seem like we've got it a bit easier was just actually go on that extra mile and yeah sure you know spending a bit of money we that really stretched us but you know, that, that a glycol chiller is only just coming into its own two or three years into your business rather than being under, you know, a massive amount of stress and about to fail at your first Christmas. Because as a brewer, it's those sort of things, and a brewing company, it's those sort of things. you got enough keeping you awake at night and you don't want those, you know, you don't need all these other things that, that sort of, you know attack your state of mind I suppose you know so we, we we're very I, I like to think we plan things out very well like that we knew I knew when I looked at this shed and that's one of the great things with these guys was that they had that faith in me just to go well he's the brewer so we'll just we'll just leave this guy um, you know he's, he's going to come up with the brewery that he wants to brew on and for probably the best part of a year I was sort of standing down there in the tap room floor and saying, well. So just trust me, it's going to look like this, there's going to be all this stainless behind the taproom, it's going to look like this and you'll see it. And you know, and they just sort of nodded their head, went, yeah, mate, no worries. <laughs> and I don't know whether they were wondering whether I was just a rat bag or, or hallucinating or whatever, but the, the good thing is that it looks pretty much exactly like I told them that would. And that plan was to start here at the front of the building and, and, and grow down to the back and then out through the doors and physically use the building that we had in the best sort of possible way and we've we've tried to think that way in sort of everything we do not just physical nuts and bolts of stuff but you know how we think and feel and you know every everything about it yep because you can always you know you can plan and then the wheels fall off 20 minutes later but at least <laughs> at least you started with a plan <laughs> and sometimes that plan includes you know like uh Contingency, oh well, most likely three of the wheels are going to fall off, so at least you kind of <laughs> know well, yeah, the downside of a plan is accountability isn 't it, <laughs>
0: it's yeah. something they can hold you to, but we're, well, we're here to talk through your six beers that changed everything. Um, I know you had a bit of uh, a bit of trouble narrowing these down to to six, but we'll let's let's start off choice one um,
1: yeah, and this is um. This is a cool one. In a lot of ways, It's kicked a lot of sort of this whole beer thing off for me was uh, the Erdinger Dunkelweizen. So I'd, I'd grown to love uh, German wheat beers early on in my uh, beer journey, I suppose, and we're talking... Gosh, we are talking back around sort of 2000, 2001 sort of era. Um, you know, and back. Back then there were beers like Little Creatures Pale Ale was called Little Creatures Live and Chuck Hahn had just got the James Squire Pilsner up and running and beers like that. And I was I was still just a, pretty much a Melbourne tinny drinker and playing in bands and still a concreter and all this sort of stuff. But I'd started to started to get a bit of a taste for German wheat beers and, and I think my wife, um, or I might have bought it myself for Christmas for me, um, was a sort of urging a gift pack. So I drank, I drank the Hefeweizen, and I drank the Crystal Weizen, which is the the filtered Hefey And and in this box, lurking in the back, was was this beer that was in a black bottle with a black label, and sort of like it just looked like sin to me. It looked like just hell. And so I just avoided it because I had this I had this really stupid assumption that that meant it was going to be it was going to be big and bitter and horrible and sour and just taste like crap. And eventually i got home one one probably friday after after uh, after work and i just went oh what the hell i'm going to crack it what's, what's the worst that can happen i'll tip it down the sink and and i poured that beer into a glass and it was just a revelation for me that you could have a beer that just looked like you know that looked like hell but to me at the time tasted like heaven it was it really was it it was a very swift sharp punch to the head i think you know, uh, in, in in from the from the beer gods, I suppose, saying don't assume anything. You know, and I was mesmerised by the beer. I just, I was utterly dumbfounded by it. Was just couldn't believe that a beer could look like that and taste like this. You know, and it's just, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And what's what's kind of year are we talking here? Oh, this would have been 2000, 2001,
0: one, two thousand two, I suppose. And um, you were concrete in at the time?
1: Concreter in Canberra,
0: yeah. It, it must be the, like, knock off on a Friday, being a concreter, eating the concrete dust. It's just, a beer must be the best.
1: Oh, it is. And, you know, there's, so there's always mis, or, and they're not always misconceptions. Like, um, you know, I, as I got into the beer world and people go, oh, I used to be a concreter. So you're used to drinking beer at 7am, you know, like drinking VB stubbies while you're pouring concrete. I'm like, yeah. Well, I was never actually that guy, you know. But, um, but that's how a lot of people feel. So, um, yeah. No, I was never actually doing that. But yeah, you know. <laughs> I, like.
0: I really didn't know that I was a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other question
1: is, oh, you must have a bad back, and it's like, no, no. I looked after myself. I I knew that that you know, as a concrete, I had to look after myself, or I couldn't do it properly and feed my family. So, um, but yeah, that that beer and around that time it was just like those those beers were only just sort of becoming available in Australia and and you know at the time it, yeah it just uh, it just yeah it blitzed me and it became like ultimately when I started home brewing the very first all grain beer I did was a Dunkelbeizen and it was very much a homage to, to that beer like you know could I even could I even dare attempt something like that and then Funnily enough, I put that beer into the uh, Canberra Brewers, the uh, ACT Home Brewing Championships in that year. Uh, This was a couple of years later when I'd actually started brewing and, um, uh, yeah, won a gold medal and went to the Nationals and finished midfield because I'd oxidised the shit out of it without knowing anything about (laughs) oxidation or anything, you know, so... I was like, well, okay, that was probably a bit of a fluke, but anyway, <laughs> I, f- I personally thought this beer was infected, but everyone else loved it, so I'm just an idiot. I've got a lot to learn. So.
0: Well, that's a very modest way of seeing things because I imagine if you started something off and you won- you win a gold medal, you think you'd back yourself quite a lot. But I think that is this is part of your success, isn't it? And part of the success of Walter is that I, n- I noticed that when... You won the awards last year in uh, in in Melbourne. The one thing that kept coming through was what a nice guy you are. Now I don't want to embarrass you, thank you. you. But um, it's that's kind of that's critical to what you're doing here, isn't it? That modesty, getting your hands dirty, leading by example. Um, Are there any brewers who you worked with, who you've learned off that you know, and taking things, or maybe they might have been doing bad things that you thought I'll never do that. (laughs) you don't have to mention them by name unless you want to (laughs) no but is there
1: anyone is there anyone that you kind of uh, was your mentor Oh, there there was a few guys so back uh, and the the beautiful thing I guess about this game about this industry is that way back when I was started and sort of uh, the sort of mentors and guys I looked up to and now some of my best friends you know it crosses over from from um you know looking up at someone and go "Wow, well, i wish i could do that or i'd really like to learn off that guy or or girl or whatever mm-hmm. in, into like uh you know a, a sort of open source cross-pollinated bloody um you know uh, wikipedia between us all you know like uh, uh, uh you know i i get calls pretty regularly about hey scotty how did you do this or did would you mind showing me that or what do you think about this and then you know and then I did the likewise you know, and know, so, say um yeah I'm stumped here or you know I'm thinking about using x y and z how do you guys go with it all that sort of thing so it's really it's really really cool that that happens I mean it when I first was starting to get asked to to brewing job interviews I had two guys that I sort of really leaned on who are now like really great friends of mine you know and that was um sean sherlock who was at murray's at the time and he's now you know um uh you know he's he's got his own business in in foghorn and and making great beers there in newey and also richard watkins and and rich and i just you know just spent a week together in yakima looking at hops and and stuff and you know and we've we've known each other i think for about a dozen years now you know and and it's great, you know, it's just great. Those those two guys were were pivotal, I think, for me because they both said, look, mate, if you can make the beer you're making in your garage, you'll shit this in, you know. Like, just get in there and get in there and go in there with your eyes open and, and be realistic. You're already a concrete, so you're used to the hard work, you know, you're mechanically minded, blah, 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 blah all that sort of stuff. So, you know, and just that tick from, from folks that you already admire, you know, is, is, can sometimes be the thing that just spurs you on. And, you know, my old, my old boss, Brad at, uh, Brad Rogers at Stoneham Wood was, it was another one, you know, um, you know, Stoneham Woods, you know, casts a pretty huge shadow across the Australian craft beer landscape. And, you know, Brad and Ross and Jamie are obviously, you know, massively central to that, but, you know, Brad... Brad was the sort of guy who, you know, I've actually seen that guy brew twenty hours straight. <laughs> he looked like forty miles of bad road after it, but <laughs> um, you know, because he and I, he and I used to bond over seventeen and eighteen hour days, you know, because we just had so much work to do and there was so much demand for, for you know, Stone and Wood Ale and there was just no other way, you know, the casuals, the casuals we'd be using and be you know, fallen by the wayside, and a lot of times, because we both live in, in and around Byron Bay, they're usually backpackers, so, you know, not always the most reliable folks, but, you know, I, I, I learn a lot, you know, from, from Brad, seeing a guy who who was pretty well up, you know, on the top of the tree at Matilda Bay, you know, he was a head brewer there, and, and but to see him actually attack his own business his own project the way he did. it was just great it was just great to see the big guy get in there and work his ass off you know because you know we we were both sort of doing the same and you know i mean that was for me i i took on a lot i suppose that in in stone and wood i just i just brad once said to me like you know you you know um you never know where this road's gonna lead to mate you know so you know i've employed you because you're smart and you know what you're doing and you make great beer and you you know so just try and come up for air occasionally and you know um but to but then to see when the when it really came down to it that he was prepared to put in stupid hours and get the job done as well is is pretty heartening when you're you know, when you've been in, you've been in the gumboots for sixteen hours or whatever, and you feel like crap, and you, you just want to stop, but you know you can't. You know, when you can, br- when you can break through the pain barrier or fatigue barrier or whatever, and you know, uh, I think that that in a lot of ways that that's that sort of uh, baptism of fire. In a lot of ways, you sort of you forge your your um, you know your future then and there in the. Mm. You know, in that, I think, I think it taught me, and and I'm sure Brad obviously had before me found the same thing. It's like, well, am I really? I must really love this shit if I'm prepared to do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because you, what well, you said before, I'm stuck
1: about with it. I can't. I just, I keep turning up every day. There's nothing else I can do. <laughs> now what? You know, like, and
0: yeah, so. Well, you said before, you know, you've, you do something that you would do for free and you, you actually were doing it for free, I presume, <laughs> for many of those hours would have been on. Oh, <laughs> pretty much. I was doing,
1: you know, you do. And like I've done similar here, you know, this is different because, uh, you know, you know I, my wife and I are, you know, are small shareholders in Boulder. But it's almost like, you know, when you put in those hours, it's almost like uh, it's negative pay. It's almost like you actually... <laughs> <laughs> you do so many hours you owe them200 dollars <laughs> <laughs> well that's it's a good time to move on to choice two choice number two um, it's probably a good tie into uh, in into into uh, you know uh, one of the guys I just spoke about rich rich Watkins and um, a big part of my journey was was being exposed to the Wigan Pen Tavern uh, when it was still in Bunder Street um, in, the, in the centre of Canberra. And Rich was the head brewer there and he used to make a stout called Velvet Cream Stout and I just remember... Um, as a concreter you're exposed to all the elements and in a town like Canberra you know that can be minus 4 degrees in winter and 44 degrees in summer and I just remember.
0: Why did you move?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah I wonder myself Yeah, I, I kind of miss seasons you know brutal you go from brutal to 6 weeks of nice to brutal and back again but um, <laughs> that's a great one. Um, I just remember being in there one day and uh I think all the paperwork for the concrete business was done and I'd done the quotes and there was nothing else really to do. I'd probably gone into Badger Rich and he was probably he was probably at Yuani Golf Club trying to struggle through this horrible weather and trying to, you know, get his handicap down because he used to love a game of golf. And um, and I just I ordered a I ordered a a pint of the stout and there was sleep I can still remember it, looking out the front windows along Bunder Street, there was sleet coming in, like, horizontally, and I just tucked away in the corner there, and I had this big black 6% stout, and it was just, oh, it was just so good, it was just like comfort food, you know, it was just like, here's some respite from this horrible weather, and it just made so much sense why people would, would drink um, stouts like that, you know, it wasn't and Rich was really, really good and still is at, you know, the Russian Imperial Stouts and that. But, but this one was a, not a quaffer, but a, at 6%, like you could, you could have a couple, but it was just, just you know, it was almost like, can you hear the serenity? You know, it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant beer. I always loved it. It was probably one of my favourite beers that Rich ever made. So,
0: so that's definitely kind of sounds a beer that got, got under your skin, into your heart.
1: Yeah, so yeah, a, and it was more that uh, there was an emotional thing to it. It was just like, oh, this just makes me feel really good, you know, and not from a inebriation point of view. It was just, I don't know, there was just something uh, human and 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 homely about it, I suppose, you know.
0: And you still get that now because obviously yeah. the, the more, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good that you answered so quickly because it means that it, because I think you know we the more beer people drink, the more they're exposed to, they do the Cicerone or whatever, you know, it's all about analysis. You can forget to actually just forget all of that and chime into the emotion. What does that beer make? You know, it doesn't matter about all of the, Hmm. whatever it is going on in the beer. You you can easily divorce yourself from that and just...
1: Totally. And and you'll you'll find in a lot of ways how how Bolter communicates, you know, um, around our beers. That's what we want people to i know that's what i'm after for people to actually feel something from from drinking our beers you know that that it actually twigs something it's not just oh yeah well this is this is a cold drink i'll slug this down or uh you know everyone else is drinking beer so i better drink a beer and look cool or oh wow it's got citra in it or something so i better drink this beer it's it's more about like yeah like how does it make you feel so stirls and i our stirls our uh, our branding director like you know we have we have these super abstract conversations at times about you know about beer like the one we're drinking now is handsome elvis you know and it's it's a milk stout and uh a few months ago like when i first pulled this one out of the pilot we were Stills and i were drinking a hot flat warm one over <laughs> as you do and i said i can just remember saying to Stills, like oh yeah it's like um it's like my mum had this video of the 1969 Elvis com- comeback concert or something like that and he had these black sideburns and he had this black jacket and jumpsuit on and he just looked like it, you know, it was that really handsome Elvis, blah, blah, and I'm just rattling on and still saying, handsome Elvis, that's a name for a beer, you know, and it wasn't like, yes, well, I, I got that roast barley like exactly right in the pocket there, you know, that espresso note is just distinct and, and admirable and you know we weren't sort of tossing off like that it was actually it twigged in me a memory of Elvis's sideburns you know and <laughs> bugger it that sort of worked you know and you know I th- I think that's important I think you know I, I do a fair bit of beer judging as well as obviously all the sensory stuff I do here at Boulder and I'm constantly you know my world is beer 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 but as much as anything when I really enjoy a beer it's not about There's two. Well, to be honest, there's two ways. There's that technical aspect where you admire something, go, "Gee, that's put together well," and those expressions of flavours are great without being a wanker, you know. And that's a really great use of that hop and blah blah blah. And then there's the other one, which is as a human being is probably more important. It's like, oh, geez, that makes me feel good, or it reminds me of my cousin that time I pushed him off the roof and he landed on his, you know, blah 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 blah. Or, you know, the the first time I went to a barbecue with, you know, my new girlfriend or whatever it might be, you know, and it's just that, that's what really connects us with beer is humanity, I think.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, ev- you're right, it's evidence in Balta, you know, for enjoyment, the little smile on the can. It's just, it's very pleasing, it's very disarming as well. Um, Donkel, stout, mm. choice three.
1: Uh, let's go back, um, to Feral Hop Hog. Um, and I know right about now, uh, it's a, I think it's, they're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of that beer. And Brendan and, Brendan Barris, uh, and his, uh, his 2IC, uh, Will Irving have been, you know, great, great friends of mine for the best part of a decade. And I just remember the first time I had, Hop Hog, you know it. It had come out. I was already working with Brad at um, at Stone and Wood, and Pacific Ale was, you know, sort of starting to emerge as, as a bit of a monster, and and um, and those boys, you know, had, um, you know, Brendan came back with these these great ideas from trips to the US about, you know, an, an American IPA, and it just It just laid waste. I think it was just such a great beer. Just they just belted it out of the park, you know. And that those sort of hop characters and and you know the the definition in the in that beer was just you know something to behold. It's like holy shit, yeah. This is oh dry hopping. Well, this is you know it it was different to in a way the impact it had with Pacific Ale because it's it's obviously a very hoppy beer as well, but with Hop Hog it was just a, a different level of intensity but, but still had balance and finesse even though it was a you know for, of its time it was a brute of a beer really as a you yeah, know
0: I think it's 5.8% which it's, yeah. it was kind of surprising that a beer you know Australia sells more mid-strength than any other country mm. a 5.8% beer getting to the to the top and holding that top spot for many years
1: yeah and it was great like with that Hottest 100 thing you know and, and we We've obviously now done done well last year with that, but we were sort of locked in for a couple of years there in this this battle with and it wasn't a battle, it was you know, like those guys would win and and Pacific Island come in second or third or whatever and the first thing we'd do is you know, text Brendan and Will and call them a pair of pricks and wish them all the best. (laughs) And then they'd turn around and send us a keg of it for our Christmas party. So that was awesome. So, you know, it worked. Have you got their number? (laughs) I do, actually, yes. Uh, I'll send it a text. But, but, you know, yeah, I mean, so that was, was, uh, I thought it was a pretty groundbreaking beer for, you know, to be made. I live in Byron Bay, you know, and, you know, so we were like, Almost exactly as far as it's possible to be possible to be on the Australian continent from those guys. So when we were able to get this beer, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty special. So.
0: It strikes me as well that um, of uh, this podcast, we're talking have most mainly Australian guests talking through the six beers that changed everything. That Hop Hog has not appeared as much as I would have expected in people's six beers that changed everything. I almost, I discussed this in a previous episode, but I almost feel like they're a victim of their own success because it's almost maybe unfashionable to choose a beer that's sat at the top for that long. Do you ever worry about that with, with Balta?
1: Um, not really. Look, all we can really do is just keep showing up every day and make the best beer we can, you know. Um, I think, you know, good things stand the test of time, you know, um, that's all I can really say. Like I, I fully expect that, you know, my, my, my hope is that, that people will go, you know, that think of XPA as being just as good in five years from now as what they do now. The reality is is, is we've got a growing, what's the word for it? I was going to say fan base, that's wrong. Um, a growing audience, you know, and a, and a growing segment of the market. So you've got more and more people exposed to good beer all the time. And one great thing about that is means the bar is constantly being raised as well. Mm-hmm. So, what stood out as being uh, head and shoulders above maybe you know other packaged IPAs or or you know sort of stronger pale ales or whatever, when Hopog was there, it's it's now surrounded by other good ones as well. And does it make Hopog any less of a beer? Not at all, you know, because I know those guys and I know them well and I know how much they love what they do. And, um, you know, they they don't give up the fight. They are not they they haven't just thrown in the towel, you know. Obviously, Brendan um, has sold Feral, but they still give a shit about great beer, you know, and that's not going to change. The beauty of our landscape here in Australia is that now there's a lot of other great beers, so the attention gets diffused a bit, I mean... You know, there there were uh, there were a few XPAs, I suppose, around when we launched ours. And, you know, that's fair enough. I'm, I'll never claim that I invented the term XPA because I certainly didn't. The one thing I did was sort of define what XPA meant for me in a glass. And I made that beer because I was intrigued by going, right, okay, what does that actually mean? Well, I'm going to brew one to what I... Th- Think it should mean, and I brewed it, and 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 brewed it at home, and then obviously brewed it a shitload in here as well since then. But if anything, that sort of it it defined for me what XPA actually meant, and has since gone and sort of done been a bit of a template for you know other people who've thought, well, XPA is kind of somewhere between around you know what Bolter XPA is, and you know a couple of the other ones around like that. And over time there's you know there's now more and more and more of them and if they're all great then all the focus will not be on ours. It just won't be. But if our job is to continue to make it the best we can and, and get it to the people who really want it and, and do our best to make sure that, that it's worthy for them and that they enjoy the experience and then from there it'll be what it'll be. You know, like there's... Yeah, you,
0: know. you almost don't get to
1: choose, the. Do we put don't. It out, you put it out there and... We don't get to choose. I mean, you know, like, I guess there was a time... I used to play in a lot of bands and there was a time even when I stopped listening to Led Zeppelin because I went, oh, <laughs> God, enough. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, the, the, the great... And I'm, everybody out there, I'm not saying by any means, you know, casting aspersions on us as being great, but... Great great things last, you know they stand the test of time that that even if stuff goes out of fashion, you come back to it you know um, all we can do is 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 do our very best to make sure that that you know xPA and all the Bolter beers and all the Bolter brand and the experience lives up to people's mostly first and foremost lives up to our own expectations and the high standards we sort of set for ourselves, but for everyone else you know. And there's nothing wrong with us being that go-to beer that like, oh, okay, I gotta try, I've got to try the beer with a firecracker in it and that one that you have to pour through a fox's skull before you <laughs> drink it. But if that all goes to shit, at least I know the XPA's over there, you know. So I'm I'm happy with that. I'm sure we all are, you know. When was the last time you listened to Led Zeppelin? Me? Yeah. Uh, probably yesterday. the day <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. i was just walking past, like it wasn't, I didn't actually put it on, <laughs> but, you know.
0: Oh, you, but it feels like you're backtracking on the story now. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all.
1: Choice four. Um, Pliny. You probably had a few Pliny's, but that was, that was a beer for me that the first time I'd heard, you know, I'd heard so much about this legendary beer and you know, and the the danger is that it's not gonna live up when you finally get to, you know, meet the movie star or or you know, or yeah, I didn't know that, you know, X, Y, and Z the rock star turned out to be a jerk. And it was sorta of, for me it was the same with the beer. It was like I was almost wasn't game to actually to drink one, but you know, I sort of I, I managed to get a couple initially that were, were really, really fresh and you know, they just they tore my head off not in a sense of like you know super being super pungent or anything, but just the, just the brilliance in the engineering of that beer about how beautifully balanced and, and the expression of, of, you know, for me, obviously Simcoe and, and the Amarillo and some of the other hops that they use in there, but particularly the, the Simcoe character in that beer, it just floored me that a beer could be you know such a i guess such a heavyweight but still have such light feet you know uh, um, you know there's there's a lot of a lot of those sort of bigger beers double ipas like that that just sort of almost collapse under their own weight and they don't have that whereas you know like for for mine pliny that that first beautiful fresh pliny was pretty much like um, oh gosh i don't know I guess like someone like The Rock, you know. Uh, when you see that guy with his shirt off, you know, you know that um, he might be the smallest guy, but he's still probably going to move. And if he, you know, if he was chasing me down the block, there's probably ninety nine point nine nine percent chance he's going to catch me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that that sort of beer was very much like that. I was like, oh my god, how can you pack such a, a wallop, but it's delivered in such a not elegant, but such a refined and, and just just beautifully engineered, it's not even the right word, but it was just, yeah, it was just that, just that, that great, that's where great art and, I guess, science for, for me comes together and that's why brewing, I guess, twigs both sides of my brain, you know, there's that real, that, the, that dovetailing between the artistic and the technical and that's what Pliny is. You know and i had i had some at the i was at the gabf uh the other week i was very fortunate to be there and, and got to judge a whole bunch of beers and um uh, met, um you know some some people um, a shitload of people actually but but were, i was actually drinking at the russian river stand behind the behind the bar there and just to have six or seven like really like two-ounce glasses, I think they were. They were tiny. They are a little more than shot glasses. But as much Pliny as I wanted was was a great thing. And sure, are there now bigger, more more uh, sort of, uh, what's the word for it, uh, you know, enhanced versions and, and stuff? Yeah, of course, because that's how that evolution sort of happens. But Pliny was just still in the pocket, you know. It was just that classic, effortless, pioneering double IPA. and. When was the first time you had it? Um, uh, um, I'm just trying to think of the year. It was, uh, gosh, I think I was already I was already a brewer by then. It might have it might have even been with Brad because mm-hmm. you know Brad knows everybody and he's um, he definitely I think he knows uh, Vinnie. Um, so it would have been with Stone and Wood. And then I had the luxury I got asked to speak at the um, the Australian Homebrew uh Homebrewers Conference in Canberra. I think that was 2013 or 14. I I'd, I'd actually left Stone and Wood and I was head brewer at Byron Bay Brewing Company by then, but um, the guys from the Canberra Brewers Club of, you know, which I was still a member in exile and continue to be. Uh they'd managed to get uh, some really great speakers from overseas and one of them was uh, Vinny Chilozo from um, Russian River and uh, I think it was the Bintani guys as a, as a sponsor. They helped get like 20 litre kegs of fresh pliny out. So to, to actually revisit it and and um, to, to actually have Vinny stand there and pour you a pliny out of a 20 litre home brew keg was just like surreal. <laughs> it was awesome. But I'm sure there's probably a thousand people that were there would say the same thing but uh yeah he, it was just great he and his wife natalie were were awesome folks and and, and it you know it reaffirmed like what was what that had been probably five or six years later I've had it a few times since but but i, I remember that one particularly and we, unfortunately we had to drink it out of plastic cups <laughs> 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 but it was still awesome yeah. well that, that speaks volumes
0: doesn't it so um choice five let's go with um
1: the Leifman's Gudenband. The Leafman's Gudenband um, Guden was the first sort of sour beer, I think, where I actually got it. as a, It's an old Bruin uh, is the style, and it's just a... I, I just remember being overwhelmed one night. I'm just trying to think where I was. Um, I think I might have been actually been with Will Irving from Farrell. We were, we were drinking it in Melbourne, and that's the one in the blue tissue paper and um, and it might have been, um, we were in Melbourne somewhere anyway and, um, and we were just sort of drinking it like the way you would, you know, like a red wine and, and I just remember just being enthralled by it, like the, the complexity in the beer but there was this, I'd never been a huge fan of sour beers, you know, a lot of them are kind of too sharp at times or a bit and that to me can sort of make them a bit one dimensional at times. But this one was just integrated to the shit house. It was it just had I got it that night. Everything about it was just it was integrated and and it was complex but it was still defined and, you know, there was just it had great structure and and I'm you know, I can remember thinking about it that this is probably the way great wine critics talk about their favourite Pinot or you know uh, you know their, their their favourite wines and yeah and, and that night I just went yeah I get this you now if only I had like a big chunk of cheese to go with it or, you know um, and it was just great like because that beer was it wasn't one that I'd had before I'd seen it before and heard people talk about it but it was when I actually got to try it myself I was like yeah I actually I get this now like they're not all great but the really good ones are really really good yeah taking us on a bit of a journey around the
0: world a bit of australian a bit of european american mm-hmm. so from your choices um that you have done at Balter here you started off with the flagship xpa yep and then it was holt brown holt brown yeah then um pilsner yep uh then ipa yep I'm doing all right actually, <laughs> but those those weren't the automatic... I think from people looking from the outside in, those weren't the things that we thought were going to come out of a Gold Coast brewery. No. What um, What was the thinking behind it? And was there a, 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 a how pragmatic have you been? Is there a dedicated plan which plans plots out you know the the first twelve beers, or is it
1: we'll brew the first one and see how it goes? I um. You know, we knew that that we were building this brewery around XBA. Once I once I'd showed that beer to to sort of the other stakeholders and and the guys, you know, as we were building Bolter, um, we knew that okay, we had XBA, and um, I I got this sort of thing in my head about almost like a beer compass where you've sort of if hops point north and malt points south, and then you've got you know you've got to allow components for yeast at the east and I'm just making this up and and (laughs) and water chemistry and stuff (laughs) to the west but it was a way for me to sort of plot out almost on a spider graph like how how we can you know we've always believed that good beers for everybody so you know we're trying to uh, initially with old brown was an attempt to actually all right we we've started with a, a pretty hoppy zingy little beer let's let's make something for people who maybe don't want so much hop in their beer to start with so we we sort of covered a bit of ground there and then and then we went across to the pilsner because i was making a bunch of beers on the on the pilot system that we put out here on the tap room anyway and you know we were getting guys and girls particularly guys who were coming in and going um, yeah i really love all that flowery shit and you know all that all that all that sparkly whatever but can you actually just make a beer beer if you guys made a beer, beer, pretty sure it'd be good. And so that was the sort of thinking behind the pilsner. And and for mine, what I wanted to do was uh, I was like, all right, I think I think what they're talking about is is some sort of lager, obviously, the, a beer that they recognise. And I just wanted to make one that didn't have any, uh, in inverted commas, craft beer sort of adornments to it. I just, I actually wanted to try and make one to see if we could we could make a good clean crisp um you know version of a of a german pilsner um that that is is sort of to to get back to the beer behind the sort of corrupted facsimiles that that most people who you know that were asking for beer beer sort of originally thought they wanted you know which is when big beer sort of took over lager brewing after the second world war and commoditized it and turned it into you know sports advertising and and all the other crap that, that sort of went with it. And I was like, well, you know, who decided that that the big guys own lagers? And in my mind, the answer was, well, we all did because we let them, you know. And, and as craft brewers, we now have the capability and the, you know, the equipment and, and, the, and the technology and the know-how, I suppose, to make great lagers. And it was just, you know, it was just a... We thought, well, you know, like... Fair's fair people are you know we need to respond to our audience and if they actually want a beer that doesn't have firecrackers and stuff and you know bells and whistles well let's give it to them you know and and see and what i really enjoy is uh you know um all the german people that come through this business and that we get exposed to from you know german equipment manufacturers and other great brewers and stuff and when the Germans like your Pilsner, like you, you know you're, you're on the right track, you know? So we've, we've had that, that box ticked quite a few times, and it's great, you know?
0: Yeah, it's one of those beers, I think uh, a lot of people who listen to the podcast kind of avoid, because it's, it reminds them of mainstream, and certainly I'm probably guilty of that, but I did have one, a re- uh, Bolter Pilsner recently, and it's really tasty. It, it's, you know, it's clean and it's crisp and all those things that a Pilsner yeah. should do. Yeah. It's got a real... Like taste to it, like a yep. real r- richness to it, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
1: It, it, again, it should be. It shouldn't just leave you cold and empty. Hopefully, it just you know makes you go, "You beauty, Mother Nature." Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> if we get it right, then the beers like pilsners. I mean, um, I you know uh, maybe a, a beer that made on the on our. Um, Maybe didn't quite make the list. Would be something like the uh, Spartan uh, Helles or even their Oktoberfest. I mean, when those beers are really, really fresh, they are just German brewing philosophy at its finest. And they, they, what they really do is showcase simplicity. But you know, just how, just how awesome
0: that can be. So inevitably, when you're interviewing the head brewer. At one of the most exciting breweries in australia the recorder runs out of batteries but thankfully i had some spares let's get back into it such was the ferociousness of your uh conversation scotty <laughs> we uh we we run out of battery so we, we'll pick up um we were just talking about uh pilsners and and lagers and the great german examples there are but I think from memory, the of Pilsner was the only lager in the top fifty of the top one hundred.
1: Yeah, apparently. Yeah, or the the first one in ten years or something. Yeah.
0: And that kind of shows that the kind of that craft beer sector is a bit allergic to uh, pilsner, maybe, and we
1: we need to fall back in love with it, don't we? Yeah. Although, like, yeah, I mean, we we're pretty chuffed that it made the top fifty. Um, yeah, because you know. If it had made the top five <laughs> thousand, it, it would have made the top two million, maybe. But um, just because, yeah, people are people have almost sort of sh- yeah, shunned those beers because of that. You know, it's been it's almost like the 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 great name of, of Pilsners and other great well crafted lagers has been tainted by the mainstream beer that so many people have have, have uh, you know sort of run away from and and, you know and, and distance themselves from but in a lot of ways you know it was never you know again I think that that we now have the ability and and as an industry have the ability to make great lagers and we should just you know we shouldn't just let the big boys have it all to themselves you know we know that there's big boys now sort of playing in our space and you know, and they're they're making pale ales and IPAs and XPAs, or, XPAs. <laughs> 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 or um, or at least buying up companies who do. And you know, um, all right, fair enough, game on. You know, really, um, I- imitation is the
0: greatest form of flattery, isn't it?
1: Apparently, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, a, well it's also quite annoying as well sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it is. You know, and like you know, but ha, you know. I'll put the hand up for the entire Bolter family. We didn't invent beer, so you know we're sort of, <laughs> we, you know, it's we stand on the shoulders of those before us. You know, like, uh, and hopefully someday we can be that platform for, for the next great Aussie brewery. Not saying we're great, but you know that that good things come out of good things. Hopefully. So.
0: Well, as you said, you know, throughout the episode, um, quality wins out. You know, the good. Good quality cream rises to the top.
1: So, mm. Um, mm. choice six. Oh, you know what? There's a there's a couple that sort of. Oh, there's a couple. Uh, gosh, I could even like have a a, a really recent example of a grape. beer would be um, the a Dunkel, uh, and that's brewed in and around Regensburg in Germany, and it's just a. Cracking world-class example of a Munich Dunkel, you know, not a, not a Dunkelweizen like we spoke of before. So it's pro- oh, sorry, that's probably worthy of an honourable mention, as is Hogarden. When I first uh, when I first drank that beer, it was really hard to get in Canberra, and it was like ninety, oh, between ninety and one hundred and twenty bucks a carton, I think, and it was like it took six or eight weeks to get it. And most of my friends and family thought it tasted like dishwater, um, <laughs> which meant I got, I pretty much got to drink it all myself over Christmas. Um, and you know that was another sort of head turner beer for me. But one one that that I thought was utterly awesome was um, I don't don't even know if you can get it anymore was uh, uh, southern the Southern Tier um, unearthly oak aged double IPA and. It was it was like after it be like Pliny. I'd you know then sort of the the few double IPAs that had sort of had around that time sort of never matched, never sort of came close to that. But I remember this one being it was its own entity. It wasn't trying to be Pliny or anything else. It was it had this just unbelievably distinct citrus character that was three and four dimensional. It was insane, and I don't know how they did the oak, whether it was Staves or chips, or it was actually been in barrels, but there was that character to it too, and it was just like, you know, here they go again. And American's in a totally different part of the country, and it was it was just just an outstanding beer. And I think I only ever got a couple of bottles of that. So, um, and I think Southern Tier sold or merged or something. I I haven't seen that beer for years. So
0: it go, it goes it goes down as one of the. There's been many discontinued beers or ones that have disappeared, Mm. and so uh, it's kind of it's almost quite nice to Mm. have that in your memory and know that it'll never be sullied. A bit like a handsome Elvis if you were at that concert.
1: (laughs) 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 And you know what? From the from sitting in the other seats on the other side of him, who knows? He might have looked like crap, but you know.
0: I uh, I remember he was sweating quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of sweat but it,
1: it, I, I just remember that as a kid and just going oh right that's probably why everyone loved this guy cuz he like he looked pretty sharp during this concert you know he'd, he'd move from boyish elvis to this sort of sharp looking dude who clearly did and looked like he had everything so
0: well it's a, it's actually a good elvis like the snack apparently Particularly towards the end of <laughs> the latter years, shall we say? What is the snack to go with these beers, uh, or what snack do
1: I? Do you prefer? Yeah, I always, I always love a good bit of cheese. So you know, with a, uh, you can't be uh, a good double or triple French brie. You know, um, they lend themselves to just so many. Uh, they're, in, you know, there's that indulgence. There's that. that Sort of sense of where you actually—I've earned a beer, and I'm just gonna enjoy this. And I'm not really worried about my cholesterol right now. Uh, you know, to be, you know, to be worried about tomorrow. Today's about this beer and this cheese. So that's always great. As is a great Swiss comtes are always great. You know, especially with a with a nice dry floral, you know, pilsner. Or um, I love I love a, a blue cheese. A good blue cheese with a you know a, a, a nice hefty IPA are always great. There's nothing like with a good blue cheese is kind of for for me is as, as sort of a, a sort of mix between rotting vegetables and, and roadkill. <laughs> but <laughs> I think but, you've got the name for your next beer. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is when you have a you have them with a you know with a you know you have them with a great hoppy beer and particularly a, a good six and a half seven percent IPA they just they just both those things complement each other beautifully you know so um other than that you know like um you know there's there's you know sometimes um uh Nutella we're talking about Elvis so Nutella and peanut butter um uh, toasties are pretty good um it's usually at the end of the night I gotta say uh and failing that, cheese twisties usually go pretty well as well.
0: Cheese twisties. I think <laughs> that is uh, Emily Day from Froth Magazine. Her choice was burger rings and specifically eating burger rings in the shower.
1: Wow! Yeah, so, well, there you go. How do you keep them dry, or you, or you don't bother, or
0: maybe you just don't care. Yeah, it's that point of the night that you, uh,
1: or maybe they're the shower rings. You know, the curtain, <laughs> the curtain rings, or the burger rings. That's interesting.
0: Well, cheese twisties. I, I like that. Yeah. I like the the level of sophistication falling, falling away <laughs> from every... <laughs> I'm not sure what cheese they use in uh, cheese twisties, but... Um, uh, I'd like I'd,
1: it's, it, they taste so good, it's clearly not good for you. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. think we should look too hard.
0: No, that. no. It's, it's
1: probably slightly radioactive, whatever uh, it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it's good in the shower in the dark. Um, what is the receptacle you're drinking all these beers out of?
1: um these are called i think these are called american pints we use them here they're about the same size as a normal schooner glass but they've got that sort of bulge of a classic nonic um english sort of pint glass except they're smaller um and you know it's it serves it's as a vehicle it serves uh you know a lot of our beers here fairly well but um you know, glasses are horses for courses. You know, always, if I'm if I'm drinking any of those wheat beers, I always try and put them in a tulip just because they, they're built for that, you know. They're built to be displayed that way. And, and you know, people, I guess, I'm sure uh, all of your listeners know and not really telling them anything they don't know, but, you know, it's horses for courses when it comes to glasses, you know, because you, you quite often get the best out of your glass. I like to road test and I did for a long long time the xpa just in a stock standard schooner glass that you'd get at the pub because i wanted the beer to work in that glass because we were we had no chance of being able to go whoa 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 whoa, 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 whoa mr publican you've got to pour that in one of those spiegel our dogfish head ipa glasses or else you know that ain't gonna work we we had to make sure the beers would just work in a normal you know in that normal setting so that people should be able to enjoy our beer at you know, and beer garden at their favourite pub uh, without that having to be com- complicated or convoluted. But by the same token, like a lot of beers that people drink, you know, all of us, you know, it, it's about those occasion beers and when you've got the chance you might as well take advantage of it, you know. Most, most people will pour up champagne into a champagne glass and won't necessarily just swig it unless you are won Bathurst or <laughs> <laughs> or the grand final. Yeah, doing a shimmy, And even then, you're probably going to shake it up and spray it over someone, really, rather than drink it.
0: It's a a sin, isn't it, doing that?
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. (laughs) I'm assuming most of the time that's $4 champagne anyway. We couldn't even call it that. That'd be sparkling, fizzy stuff.
0: Yeah, yellow glen, maybe, at a push. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That actually strikes me as a good idea if you want to, you know, if things are moving too quickly at Bolta... You as head brewer just insist the glassware has to be right, and you you institute, and that will slow the growth and
1: slow it all down.
0: Yeah, you know, if you need a break, you know, as things are coming up, uh, just to...
1: well, you know, what it's it's kind of funny that like it's we initially talking about other receptacles, like we initially had on our the XPA's, like uh, you know, best enjoyed from a glass, but nobody will judge you if you drink it from this tinny, and we actually took that right out because it wasn't that long into it i know that when we first started canning xpa that i was i'd I'd pour carefully pour them into glass and look at the beer and and sort of evaluate it that way and then i just started i just started taking them home as tinnies and having a knockoff beer and and i realized you know what we're putting this beer in cans and it should be up to scratch drunk out of the can and you know that's that's a big part of it too. I mean, there's there's certainly I can remember I made some adjustments just before we actually started canning the pilsner, uh, based on some trials I'd done with, you know, the pilsner just just uh, canned into just blank silver tinnies, and, and just trying them and and drinking them from the can. I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on, I've got i I've got to change a couple of things here because the beer. The beer presents and and comes across great in this glass, but it's not actually it's it's not exactly where it should be for the tinny. And you think about a pilsner and a tinny and and you know and outdoor living and and the portability of of, of this package. And I was like, well, above all, it probably has to make sense being able to drink it out of a tinny. So. So, yeah, don't ever uh, don't ever underestimate the power of just a nice, clean tinny when it makes that beautiful sound when you crack the lid.
0: I don't think that's how most people are going to consume it, aren't they? Just straight yeah. out the tinny. So yeah. it makes a lot you of sense hope. to do yeah. your R&D around yeah. what except, people are going to actually it, do. It,
1: except maybe double IPA. I mean, uh, and I've actually done it, but, like, holy cow. Like At least... Uh, it's it's one of those beers when you actually put it in a glass, you tend to put the glass down and like stare at it for twenty minutes. So, <laughs> so, so it's a bit you know you, you're not gonna you're not gonna have your legs knocked out from under you as quick. Yeah, but. it's a
0: bit steeper half litre can of of double IPA.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that way, like too, like if you, if you've got you know uh, if you've got a friend around, you can you can split that up and and still enjoy it between two people and. And then you might get to crack a second one.
0: Yeah, a beer shared is much better, isn't it? And um, oh, absolutely. Th- what's the ambition for Bolter?
1: Um, Keep peddling, I guess, at the moment. Where uh, you know, we're uh, we're we're just trying to show up every day and make the best beer we can, and 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 you know, be a good business, and 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 you know, play our part. You know, make sure we're good citizens good corporate citizens good beer community citizens and um you know in a lot of ways for us the challenge is you know uh where we're at now the the real challenge is us for us is like how we actually hang on for the ride you know I, i i do remember saying to to the guys at one point maybe way back before we even had any of the stainless out here was that you know maybe just maybe the the real hardest thing for us will be hanging on, you know, just hanging on to the, hanging on to the reins if this thing actually takes off, and you don't sort of expect that. But because of the sort of growth I'd I'd sort of experienced at Stone and Wood, I'd seen it before, and just how much pressure and and it's it's a good problem to have. It's always a good problem to have when you don't have enough beer because you're selling as much as you can make. But it there's it it still is stressful, and it still puts puts pressure on you and it, it really does test you and your resolve and your process and all of those sorts of things. So it's a, it's, it's a good test of, of, you know, how how healthy, I suppose, your brewery and your business and your beers and your people all are, you know. Um, so for us, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, we're not trying to, certainly not trying to take over the world. For us, it's actually trying to fulfill orders that we already have that we can't meet yet. Because we don't have enough beer, we don't, we not, we can't quite make as much as, as people want to buy, I guess. That is a good problem. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it yeah. is stressful. Well, oh, it's better <laughs> than the alternative, which would have been me looking like a dickhead <laughs> and people going, uh, "Yeah, that that was great, mate. That's a top beer. <laughs> awesome, thanks." And be, you know, getting lynched or something. So uh,
0: and uh, a bit of an insider's view because um, when you've got uh, kind of surfers involved and you've got you're on the Gold Coast. People assume it's going to be a bit casual, laid back, everyone giving each other high fives, you know, everything's kind of lackadaisical. Mm. Is it like that in reality or is it all uh, PowerPoints and spreadsheets and KPIs
1: and all this sort of stuff? No, no. Well, it's, you know, it's 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 the beer business, but it's uh, in a lot of ways, you know, like you, you see a lot of our teams together are, are really bonded, you know. the You see the packaging guys and, and you know, uh, the brew crew and the seller guys and, you know. Uh, these guys walk in every day and and just you know and just casually fist pump each other as you know they're they're interested in um while most people probably don't live in each other's pockets you know they they certainly um you know bolter is quite a family feel and that's that's how we want it you know um yeah we're a business and we have to we have to we have to be diligent we have to be dedicated and and uh, discipline to to actually keep this thing, keep the wheels turning, you know, because there is now like 50-odd people and, you know, that involves a lot of families who rely on Bolter and rely on the beer being great and the business being great and the brand being great and the the management and all the staff being great to actually get everyone fed and all the bills paid. So no pressure. No, no (laughs) pressure. (laughs) No more than, yeah. It could be worse, you know. We could be... You know, I could be a con. I could see that's my only real fear in all of this is that one day I'm going to wake up and this has been a, a really extended dream and I'm still a concrete in Canberra somewhere.
0: You'll be putting the concrete floor in a, a new brewery in Canberra. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'll be like, no. <laughs> well, Scotty it has been tremendous to take us uh, through your six beers that changed everything. What a, a really nice beer journey. But I feel. Almost as an outsider watching the Bolter story unfold, I feel exhausted just watching it as a consumer. (laughs) So I I don't know how you feel, but you've uh, done a tremendous job there, and um, I think uh, from what you've talked about on the podcast as well, there just it comes through why Bolter's a success. Well, yeah,
1: that's 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 the plan, you know. We uh, we don't let anyone down, least of all ourselves, you know. Yeah, we're in it for the you know we're in it for the long haul.
0: And um, people can, uh, you've got a nice Instagram, and you've got uh, people can follow. Obviously, Bolter online have got a very good online presence. So yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: So yeah. follow all of that, and y- you're one of the brands that it goes a bit nuts on social
1: media. When you, it's hard to miss a new release from Bolter. <laughs> y- yeah, so well, you know, we, we, uh, and particularly you know Stirls manages all that very well. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to annoy people every two hours with, you know we had for lunch or something like that you know we we try and make sure that we're not obtrusive you know stills like to say that we we have to earn the right to to speak to our audience and when when they give us permission to speak to them then we've got to you know we've got to respect that and yeah do it properly so yeah and that that online thing is something that, that that our guys do a great job of you know and it's we realize how important it is and we're lucky we live in times where you can connect to your audience and and they can connect to us i mean that's why that's why craft beer works or craft distilling or cheese or furniture manufacturers or whatever is because people people want to have that connection to the guy who makes their favorite beer or that barista who does coffee better than anyone else on the planet you know and if you can go and see that person and 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 in some way be a, a part of each other's life you know there's a there's a reciprocal thing that's that always happens in that that keeps us all human and you know not so uh hopefully we don't disappear up our own iphones
0: well anyone who's listening should definitely come along to the tap room and uh it's it's a really welcome sight to see that doctor smile uh thanks so much scott for being on the uh chosen brew i'm sure we'll hear from you soon
1: awesome thank you and thanks for having us and, and cheers everyone
0: So that was it, Scott Hargrave from Bolta. What a lovely conversation and a great beer journey as well from that German beer that was accidentally drunk at the very start of the beer journey almost 20 years ago, all the way up to being a head brewer at one of the most exciting and fashionable breweries in Australia. So as it is the 30th episode of the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. I thought I would spend a moment to reflect on all the brilliant guests that we've had that have made the podcast possible. And what a great beer journey it's been so far. I'd love to hear from you if you've tried a beer or listened to an episode and maybe had a little a little epiphany moment of your own because you revisited a beer or had heard of a beer that you'd never known about, and you went out and uh, investigated a bit more, or you've had the discussion with a friend about what would be your six. Let me know. Get in touch at any of the social media, the Chosen Brew, or send an email via the Chosen Brew website, which is thechosenbrewau.com, or send an email to thechosenbrewau at gmail.com. I also want to just read out a couple of correspondents I've had, which have been really lovely. Um, one from Matt, who is originally from the Midlands in the UK, who moved out to Australia and really uh, ramped up his homebrew. And has he, he's even got a hand pump attached to his kitchen bench. That That almost is the reason why I'm making this podcast, so that people can send me a picture of an amazing piece of engineering screwed into their kitchen bench. That's an amazing. So, so Matt found the podcast and binge listened to all the episodes, and he's really uh, pushing his love for the malt-driven beers and the English-style real ales and cask beers. So really exciting there, Matt. Hopefully we'll catch up for a beer soon. And I also had a lovely message from SK Bevs uh, following the Shandy episode. And now those of you eagle-eared listeners will know that in this episode, Scotty did say he didn't claim to invent XPA. But in the episode with Shandy, if you haven't listened to it yet, Shandy gives the answer of the person who invented XPA as a concept. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. Um, But SK Bev's uh, got in touch with me and said it prompted that episode had prompted him to um, get his nonic glass through the traditional English style pint glass with the bevel And I got a lovely picture of one of Shandy's beers that he chose, which was the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale from this nonic glass. So it's lovely to hear that the podcast is inspiring people to not only drink nice beer, but to savour and enjoy the moment. I love the part of this episode where Scott was talking about emotion and enjoying the beer for what it is. I'm definitely guilty of sometimes drinking beer and forgetting that I just need to relax and enjoy it and stop thinking about the IBUs or the, the hot profile or whether it's too hot or too cold, whether it's in the right glass. I think maybe sometimes it's just beer and we can just enjoy it. And it's the company and the surroundings and hopefully we get to enjoy that over this Christmas period and beyond. I'll be back with an episode very soon make sure you can give a little christmas gift back to the chosen brew if you share if you write a review on any of the platforms that you listen to the podcast on thank you so much for the people who have reviewed the podcast on itunes thanks to brew novice and ej mc raft or craft thanks to howie 1880 and thanks to i don't know whether this is evan ob81 or even knob81 either way you gave it five stars you did the right thing and it was a really nice nice write up that you um, so thank you I don't know whether that mystery will ever be solved but thanks so much for the review and if you want to clear that up just get in touch with me Facebook or Instagram Twitter I'm not very active on all of them because it's hard (laughs) But I will respond to messages uh, that are sent through. And make sure you also listen to the Wheel of Sports podcast. It's my other podcast which I managed to squeeze in to a busy life where I record with my friend Justin Price and Matt Lavery, who's been doing the recent episodes. All the episodes, there's a little gem in there. It's a treasure trove. I don't know if I really like sport that much. But I love the stories around sport and this is absolutely the best. It's a wonderful podcast. It's so much fun to make. Just type in The Wheel of Sport wherever you get your podcast and subscribe or just play an episode. It's fine. So that was a 30th episode ramble. I normally keep these things at the end as short as I can. I just thought I'd treat myself. It's the 30th episode. Why not? <laughs> let's go crazy um, thank you so much for listening to the 30 episodes and I look forward to you tuning in for the 31st take it easy I hope to catch up for a beer soon